every Saturday night. And of course, you can listen to us live on WBSM, on the WBSM app, on TuneIn, on the Paranormal Radio app, and on Midnight.fm. And uh, we want to say hello to everybody out there who, you know, tuned in last week and was surprised not to find us on the air. We took Valentine's Day off because Moniz and I are in love, and uh, we decided to... <laughs> right. Well, we took the night off because, uh, you know, we figured everybody else wanted the night off. Everybody else had things to do. They didn't want to listen to Spooky South Coast. So we said, why make a new... I don't know how to fix that. It's... Nothing's changed over here that should be different for you. All right. Did. Try a different pair of headphones. It was working earlier. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I'll, I mean, I'll talk really loud if you can't hear me. So uh, we are going to be talking tonight about uh, a topic that I put up on my Facebook page the other day. And it kind of hit a lot of uh, nerves with people. I, I don't I don't know what to tell you. I can't yep, I can't fix it in the middle we'll of the show. With it. Uh, so the the situation came up. Because, and first of all, before we get into that, I just want to acknowledge before we go any further that uh, tonight is a very, well, today is a very important anniversary. It is the anniversary of the station nightclub fire. Yeah. So uh, that, and of course, we've done programs on that in the past. Uh, we've had uh, Dave Kane on, uh, whose son, Nikki O'Neill, was one of the, actually the youngest victim of the fire. And uh, we also have had, um, y- you know, other shows where we've kind of dedicated time to the memory, we lost people that we knew in that, and I'm sure a lot of yeah. you out there listening have, you know, lost people that you knew as well. Uh, and of course, you know, we're not supposed to talk about other radio station people when you're on the radio, but of course, the doctor, uh, Mike Gonzalez, uh, he perished in the fire as well, and you know, very influential. I know I listened to him a lot growing up. I'm sure. Yeah, you, I, well, um, well, I did most definitely. I'm, I mean, you were already grown up, but <laughs> but I, I know what you meant. Uh, but uh, so, you know, I, I don't want to not mention that uh, right here at the top of the show. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with it, go back and take a look and do some of the, uh, you know, do do a little bit of reading about it. Because you'll see that, you know, in the years that have come out since, uh, there have been a lot of, there have been investigations done, but there's been a lot of changes that have happened in the way that bands can perform because of that. You know, they no more of those flash those flash bangs uh, anymore in those smaller clubs. Pots. Yeah, no more of those in the in the smaller clubs anymore. Uh, for a while, you know, WWE, which does this big uh, pyro display before the start of every TV show, and had pyro involved in everybody's entrance. You know, the cane uh, would come out, there'd be fire, and then they'd have all the other explosions for other people. They put all that on hold for for a while. Uh, while they were trying to figure out all the new regulations and everything. So, I mean, you never want to see a tragedy happen, but at least there has been uh, movement made to prevent that from happening again. So uh, we can continue on with, you know, any memories that you might want to share. Uh, We'll certainly allow that. We'll keep things open for that. But uh, let me get into the main topic that we want to discuss tonight because we know that this program is... One that is listened to by a majority of people, well, a majority of the listeners, I should say, are people that have interest, experience in paranormal investigation. You know, we have people that are 
um, seasoned investigators. We have people that are just getting into it. We have people that have done it now and then, but you know they are not regulars at it. We also have people that will probably never do it, but just like to hear about the topics that we discuss. Uh, so, but we try to bring things up and bring up discussions that matter to the paranormal field. This topic that we're going to talk about tonight, unless you're involved in it, you might not think it's that big of a deal. But I'm going to try to explain to you why it is, uh, because it's an it's an issue. It's an issue that will uh, continue on as this new media continues on. So let me let me kind of explain. For those of you who don't investigate. This is, this is ridiculous. Here, see if that works. Does that work? Okay. All right. So Moniz can hear now, so don't say anything bad about him when you call in. There's a process involved with being able to get in and investigate a location. There's permissions that have to be granted. There's usually steps that you have to go through. Uh, there's the, you, a lot of the places, and I'm talking about public places, not, you know, private residences. Private residences is a different, uh, private residences are a different story because you only have to really deal with the homeowner or a private business. You only have to deal with the business owner. But when you go to places like we do for a lot of our events where we try to help people raise money, those are a little bit more involved. And those usually require the permission of, of the uh, at least the person in charge of holding events at that location but then sometimes there's a board of directors uh, if there's a historical society sometimes it has to go before the whole historical society if there is if it's a town owned property sometimes you have to go before uh, people within the town whether it be the park department or the board of selectmen uh, you know, for, or for those of you who don't live in New England and don't have selectmen, you know, your city council, your town council. Uh, I know that you know not everybody runs things the way that we do here with the town meeting format in New England, but you have to go before a chain of people. And it's usually not just a one and done thing. Uh, there's um, there's steps in the process. The first step is getting the contact, getting somebody to return your email or your phone call, which... That's usually where most of our attempts at, you know, going to places to help them raise money, that's usually where it ends up getting stuck right there uh, because that person that answers those emails says, eh, pff, we're not interested in that. Or in some cases, they have the email address set up, but nobody ever checks it. Yeah. I mean, that happens, unfortunately, with a lot of historical societies because they're run by older people that might not have computers. So somebody goes in like twice a year to go clean out the email inbox. And by then it's like, oh, we could have had that event, but I guess we won't now. So there's there's challenges in that. Just getting your foot in the door. Or the other one that they no longer work there anymore or they're passed on, but well, nobody's I mean, updated. Hope, yeah. I mean, hopefully they're, yeah, hopefully they're not sending the, the, the society emails to somebody who's no longer around, but it does happen. Yeah. And uh, the other problem, the other problem is that uh, you know the people that are reading those emails when they do 
like I said before, they're being kind of the arbiters of whether or not they think this should go on. And some people might look at that and say, oh, that means I'm going to have to be here till two in the morning. Yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. So, you know, it never even gets to the point of discussion. But then if you are lucky enough to get somebody to respond and say, yeah, we, you know, we might be interested in that. We'll hear you out on that. It's very rare that I get a message back from somebody and they say, yeah, let's do it. I mean, we were fortunate when we were running, you know, legend trips and doing spooky South Coast events. Like we were at a point where we had people reaching out to us. Yeah. So we didn't really even have to go out and like solicit new places, but we still would because we wanted to give the Variety. attendees, yeah, a, a chance to get into places they'd never gone to before. And plus, you know, we get tired of doing the same places all the time. So we tried to, you know, always keep at least a couple new ideas in the mix. But it was a different story, you know, when you were in the flow of it all the time and it was happening. Now it's like, okay we haven't done anything in a while. People are asking, when are you going to do something? So then you go out and you look and you see, is there some place I can help that doesn't have this going on? Is there a place that looks like they could use an infusion of maybe a couple thousand dollars in one night? So you start going through the process. And if somebody does say, yeah, you know, we, I think that's something we would be interested in. Then it turns into, but I have to talk to the director. I have to talk to the board of directors. We have to present it to the society for a vote, whatever it is that goes on, however they handle it. And so now, you know, I automatically think in that situation that no matter what day of the month it is, whatever the date is, I think it's going to be at least 30 days from that date before I get an answer. Because I can't tell you how many times I've reached somebody and they said, we'll talk about it at our next meeting. Well, when when's your next meeting? Well, we just had our meeting last night. So by monthly so, yeah. or so, biannual. Yeah. You've got 30 days at least, you know, before the next meeting. So I kind of just, you know, make that I make that plan in my head of like, it's probably going to be a month before I hear back at least. So, but then they go and they bring it before whoever they have to bring it before. And then sometimes they vote without me having to, you know, go before them in any way. Uh, sometimes I've had to provide a written plan of what the night's going to be. Sometimes I've had to submit... Uh, testimonials from other people that we've worked with. Uh, sometimes I've had to tell them, you know, here is this person, this person, and this person who comes to our events, and maybe you want to reach out to them. I mean, there's there's a lot of different things they could ask for just okay. to verify that we're we're legitimate. Insurance coverages and stuff like that. <laughs> what what we have for coverage, and then there's the times. What you know this, you know. We, we put the application into a historical council and then it's no, you have to actually now speak to the historical society. Right. We, that happened <laughs> that happened to me in Wareham. I, I went before a group at the town hall that listened listened to my entire proposal and uh and, and loved it, but then told me they were the wrong people to talk to. But and, and then I've had to go before like in New Bedford, we wanted to do something again at Fort Tabor. I had to go before the park board and that didn't go well. Um that's why we're not going to be doing any more events there. Uh, but, uh, you know, not that they were against it per se. Uh, I'm not going to put this all on the park board, but it just turned into a, you know, we think there's too much liability kind of situation. Yeah. So the, but then you get to, you know, you get to have it go before whoever it has to go before. And then they give you the permission. And then like, like Moniz was saying, you know, you have to then line up the insurance, uh, which, a lot of times, sometimes they carry their own insurance, and their own insurance will cover the event, uh, but sometimes they don't. You so get supplemental, like what we... We have to get, like, single-day event coverage, which is not cheap. You know, when you have insurance, 
anybody that has car insurance or homeowner's insurance, you know how it works. You have what your premium is, and then it's broken up over months. And so, you know, it might cost you, I don't know, $2,000 a year for your car insurance, but now that's being broken up over the course of 10 or 12 months in the year. Mm. So it's a lot easier to digest. With single-day event coverage, there's all no spress- there's no yeah. spreading it out. You're just paying what the premium is. And, and it all depends on how many people, where the location is, what the risks are, all kinds of things. So I have, you know, I've paid anywhere from just, I mean, I'm going to be open and, and uh, honest about it. I've paid everywhere from like 150 to, I think the most I ever paid was 575. Yeah. So, and that's for one night, five hours worth of insurance coverage. Uh, and, and it's carrying a, a $2 million policy. So $2 million if somebody gets hurt or $2 million if there's like damage to the building up, you know, cover yeah. up to two two million. So, but also, you know, we have a business set up for this. So there, there's, there's legalities involved in it that, you know, I don't, I don't want to bore everybody with it all, but you have to have protections so that if something does happen and you get sued, they're suing your company and not you. Because if, if somebody, you know, goes to one of these historical events with us and they burn down a, a 400-year-old building... Because they were smoking inside when they weren't supposed to be smoking. I don't know, you know whatever whatever the thing might be. Yeah. Well, actually, you know, like maybe they're using some sort of plug-in electronic device and it overheats or, you know, who knows. It's not like paranormal equipment is made by, you know, people that are high-end engineers. Sight the light a candle and, you know. Right. That's you, why, you, yeah, we don't allow candles for right. that very reason. But you get the point, yeah. And so you have, you know, damage that's done and now... You know, the, they want to sue us, and it's it's beyond what the insurance policy will cover. So now it's on us to make up the difference. So if we didn't have that protection, like, they could sue me personally. And then I have to pay whatever the difference is, and they'll just garner it out of my paycheck. And I don't make that much. So, you know, it's going to take me 45 years to pay this person off. And so, you know, all these things are a factor. Uh, that people don't take into account when, when they put these things on. They just think, oh, I could run a ghost hunt event. Oh, I could I could go make a hundred dollars a ticket easy. Like they don't understand that there's all these ins and outs and all these protections that you have to line up. So anyway, you get the approval, you have the insurance, you're ready to do the event, everything's happening, everything's ready to go. Now everybody that's there is there with permission. Everybody that's there is okay to be there because the location is benefiting from it as well as the person. And that's how it all works in a way that works beneficially. I see a lot of posts from people out there all the time that are, you know, paranormal investigators who don't understand why they reached out to this historic haunted place and they want $1,000 to come and investigate for the night. Who were they to ask me for $1,000 to go and investigate their place when I do this for free and I do the, I don't charge anybody for this and I give up my time and I pay out of my own pocket to travel there and to buy all this equipment and who are they to tell me that I have to pay them to rent out their place in order to investigate? I'm trying to help them. Well, here's the thing. They didn't call you looking for help. Correct. So they don't owe you anything. You're calling them because you want to go you there and check to it go out. There. Yeah. And that is basically like saying, I want to rent out a place privately. Yeah. Uh, or like, I, I I, want this meal 
given to me because I've fed other people right. going to another. Well, you know, I come here all the time. You know, uh, you know, my fifth meal should always be free. No, it doesn't work that way. Um, so that's a, a that's another issue that that drives me up a wall is people that don't understand why, and then they attack people like us because we, you know, we get to go into those places. They'll let us go in because we're going to give them money, but. So now it's all about money in the paranormal. Like, no, we've never done these things because it's all about money. We've done it for the 30000 plus that we have raised for these places. We did it because we were... Last I checked, it still costs us money to do these things. We don't no. really make any money. I mean, the the yeah. places make money. We, we, we set it up in a way so that hopefully it doesn't take money out of our pockets, but it's we not... We don't make any money. Yeah, so. we're, we're paid for our time for the night, you know? And the which it, covers the, what our gas and maybe a little. Well, but, I, mean, I mean, I'm trying to be honest here. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's got to be worth the time. If I'm going to spend months creating, advertising, running event, like, you know, that time costs money, and I I probably average less than minimum wage for the amount of time that I put into yeah, these but, events. But the, the it's not like the hand over fist people, other people. Right. Can, it, yeah. It's not like you're going to these. You know, especially in the early days of this paranormal surge. Oh, yeah. When they were charging three or four hundred dollars a ticket, yeah. and you know they had every TV star there and all of that stuff, you know, and they had two hundred guests. Like that's not what we've ever been about. The most guests we ever had was like ninety five at Edaville, and that's because it was Edaville and we had plenty of room for everybody. <laughs> yeah. And even then, as we're running it, we're like, this might be too many people. <laughs> and then um, it was a good date, though. We did the the station events. Uh, when we could still do stuff at Fort Tabor, we did a couple Fun 107 events over there, and those had about 125. Uh, so, you know, that's when that's when you say, you know, I, I kind of miss those 40-person events where it's a lot easier and you, get, you know everybody's name when they're there. Uh, but anyway, so, you know, that's the reason why they're letting us go into these places is because we are raising money for them to continue on with their historic work. Most of these places don't care about the paranormal aspect. Mm -hmm. They will only utilize that as a way to bring in some more revenue. Um, so that's part of that. But again, the key is we've had permission to be in all the places that we have been into. I think that we have very rarely, even accidentally, been in a situation where we were somewhere where we didn't have permission. No. I mean, just because we're so, you know, uh, uh, cautious, so, we have so much foresight about it. And also, like, how bad would it look if we come on the air all the time and say, you have to get permission, and then we get bagged for going somewhere where there's no, where we didn't have permission. So we're always hypervigilant about that because we just don't want to look bad either, you know? Um not only is it the right thing, but also, you know, sometimes it's sometimes it's iffy. So, for example, <clears throat> and I don't want to mention it on the air by name, but there's a cemetery I, that yeah. we went to before that is a popular cemetery for paranormal investigators to go to and has a lot of legends around it. But now the people who run it, the historical association that no, maintains it, yeah. they don't want people going there without permission. They don't want people going. So technically, every time you go to a cemetery after hours without permission, you're trespassing because they all have a sign on them that say closes at dusk. Yeah. So 
you, you know, even if they have the gates wide open or there is no gate, if they have a sign posted, you really can't be there. Um, so maybe that's like the only like black mark on our record is, you know, going to that cemetery without permission. Although I did get permission before we went. Yeah. I did reach out to somebody just as it turns out. I don't know if it was the case then. Like, I don't know who was in charge of it at that time, 2007, 2006. I don't know who was in charge of it then, but it's certainly not the people that are in charge of it now. And um, so that's probably like the worst thing we've ever done. Uh, the topic that came up this week, like I said, somebody sent me a message and they said, hey, check out this group. Because they're in Massachusetts, and I know you're in Massachusetts. See what it is they're doing. And I looked, and I'm not going to name the group because I'm not doing this to shame anybody yep. in particular. I'm just trying to, you know, prevent people from following a bad approach. So when I look on this page, the entire page is them promoting their trips, their investigations to these abandoned locations in which they have broken into and they're putting into it, they're mentioning like how they had to get into these places and they're putting it on their social media and they're tagging themselves in it. And they're, they're, you know, they're putting their real accounts on it in addition to their group. account. And basically what they're doing is they're creating an entire digital. Yeah. You don't want to put those headphones yeah, on the microphone. They, they've created this entire digital footprint of them illegally trespassing. And I can tell you that there are locations that pay attention to those things. Yep. When you hashtag it with the name of the place that you broke into, and then they go into it the next time they go in, they're like, somebody's been in here. The first thing they're probably going to do is go on social media and look to see who hashtagged it with the name of the place. So there seems to be, and it's not one particular Especially group. if there's vandalism involved, you, you know, in the process of breaking in. You break physical materials. Well, yeah. and, and this particular group that I saw actually took items from where they went. That's you know, called larceny. They had breaking a little and note. Entering oh, we larceny. took ourselves home a souvenir. Yeah. Um, so, but I want to get into that a little bit deeper, too, as, as we go along with the discussion. The idea of, you know, that... What can, what can happen to you just by going in there without permission? But the group is, uh, you know, very proud of themselves for what it is they're doing. And I thought to myself, you know, well, how can you be that tone deaf to think that you can just break into a place? And I'm, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to say they didn't even have to actually break in. Like, let's just give yeah. them the benefit of the doubt and say they walked up and they op they tried the door handle and it was unlocked, so they walked in. Still trespassing. And so the issue is that now that you're putting that out there, everybody's going to look at you and say, wow, you know, people that don't know any better are going to say, wow, look at this group. You know, look at Acme Ghost Hunters. They get to go into places nobody else gets to go into. And so you're doing it because you think it's building up your reputation. It's making you look, making you stand out amongst the crowd, uh, which I always wonder if you want to stand out amongst the crowd in the paranormal, why? 
Are you doing this because you want to go and find answers? Or you want to help other people find answers? Or are you trying to stand out because you want to get yourself on TV or you want to get yourself, you know, famous? Um, basically, when I see somebody with a newspaper article and a streaming web show and all that kind of stuff, like my first instinct is avoid. And I know that that shouldn't, that that's not fair. And I know that there's a lot of people out there that are just trying to get their name out there so that they can get more cases. And they're getting their name out there so that people know they're around because it's not like you can take out a newspaper ad. You know, it's like $600 a day to get a newspaper ad. Uh, and if, to be honest, if somebody said, hey, you know, we're, uh, we're the new uh, South Coast Paranormal Group. And uh, if anybody has that name, I'm, I'm not picking on you. I just tried to make something up. You know, but we want to get a, we want to buy an ad on WBSM. I don't think that the, the, the powers that be here would, would take your money. Like, it's just not what we do here. You, you don't hear commercials for paranormal groups. So even if you were paying the money, I, I, I don't think that we would take it. Um, because there has to be some, you know, there's only so many commercials. And so you have to be judicious about what businesses you're working with. I, I don't mean to speak for anybody. If you want to come down here and drop, you know, $10,000 on an advertising package to promote your paranormal group, just come here and ask for me. Uh, but <laughs> but I, I'm just saying, like, it's you not... You do voiceover work. <laughs> uh, do you have ghosts in your house? Call <laughs> no. but, um, it, but But my point is, you know, they don't have the money, most of these paranormal groups. No. If the option was on the table to go out and buy advertising, they don't have the money to do that. Nor would they probably, you know, want to invest it in that. Because the, the thousands of dollars it costs to get media, you know... Com commercials on TV and on cable access. I mean, uh, on, you know, those cable commercials they feed in uh, when you're watching, you know, The Walking Dead and you see a commercial for, you know, something here locally, like they have to pay to put those commercials into those. Um, so, you know, most people can't afford to pay the, the rates of that for a paranormal group because right. there's no income coming back in return. Um, so there's probably, you know, some value for them in getting their name out there in these different non-traditional ways but i just when i see somebody doing it i'm like Ugh. like they're just trying to get themselves attention they're just trying to get themselves you know they think that they're going to be on travel channel and and maybe they will be and, and you know more power to them if they if they do but i'm that's just not what i'm looking to get wrapped up and involved in okay the way to appropriately go about is the way that you know we've done in other successful groups have done in the past mentor with another group that's been around and has already had the experience if if it's possible i understand well, in some locations there aren't that many people doing it but, but you know i mentored with other with other investigators from the past you i introduced you guys to a number of people and we've watched other groups do that, and that's how they become so, more successful. There are ways to get it out there, though, yeah. for yourself with, without even having to go through that. In in the way that the world is in 2021, you can put out Facebook ads. You know, you know, you can buy the ads through your own page. Uh, you can do that. You can put stuff up in Facebook groups, like town specific groups. Right. You can. Um, you can put, you know, people still go to Craigslist and look for stuff. Uh, there's there's a variety of different ways. Let me tell you a little secret. The best way to get yourself out there is to stop calling your paranormal group something that has nothing to do with where you live. 
So don't call yourself, you know, uh, Spectre and then have that all kind of stand for something and have it not be related to where it is that you live. You know, if you live in Fairhaven and you want to have a group, call it Fairhaven Paranormal Research. You know, like Andy Lake, Greenville Paranormal Research. Yeah. Why do people go to his site all the time? Because he's SEO'd for Greenville Paranormal Research. So when people look for paranormal researchers in Greenville, Andy's name comes up, right. number one. And so that's kind of the way that you can get yourself the, the, the referrals that you're looking for, the clients that you're looking for, even though I hate that word client, but you can get the cases by putting out the right SEO for your website. Um, it doesn't work to only run a Facebook page. You want to have an actual web presence and don't make the web presence all about you. Uh, put you know, you want to have SEO terms that make people search. And by the way, if you want to, you know, get yourself a website, Town Square Interactive, just go to WBSM.com and click on Town Square Interactive at the bottom and it will take you over there and we will actually, you know, make you a site. Our, our company, we have a branch of it where we make you websites and they make all that SEO stuff happen. And yeah, it costs money, but you know, it's going to be exactly what it is that you're looking for. If that's not the route you want to go because your group doesn't make any money, there's plenty of websites. There's plenty of, you know, websites for dummies books, all the stuff that will give you the information to make it so that people will find your site. Um, but people go for the, you know, the catchy name or what will look good on a t-shirt and that's not going to help people find you. But anyway, that's, you know, that's beside the point. Um, these people that are breaking into these places or, or trespassing into these places, it's part of a new movement. And it's, well, it's not a new movement. It's no, been around it's for not, a while. Yeah. But there's something called urban exploration or urbex for short, where people go and this is what they do. They break into abandoned places. They trespass on abandoned places and they take photographs. Uh, some of them don't take photographs at all. Some of them just go to do it. Um, whatever the reason that they, they are going to those places, they go and they do it. Do I approve of it? No, it's still trespassing. It's still illegal. But does it bother me that there are urban explorers out there? No, because it doesn't impact what it is that I do or the, the community that I work within. <coughs> what bothers me about the paranormal people doing it is that they have the word paranormal in their name. So now when you go to that group's page, it says, you know, Acme Paranormal Group with all these pictures and videos of them breaking into places. So now the people that run those locations will find them. They will be caught. Like, don't don't think that they're going to get away with it. Uh, so they will be caught. And that group having paranormal in their name is going to make the people that run that location think all paranormal groups do this. This is how they operate. And so it makes everybody else look bad. It makes everybody else look like amateurs because, I mean, we're all amateurs, but it makes people look less than um, respectable because you broke into a place and you're a paranormal group. Now, let's just say while you were there, the police showed up and you got arrested and it's in the police log and somebody writes up a little story about it. Ghost hunters arrested breaking into old abandoned school. These headlines have appeared yeah. over and over it's, in the past. It's yeah. nothing It's nothing that is not, you know, yeah. you could Google that exact headline and you'll probably find 20 stories. Uh, so it's actually gotten to the point where there has been legal cases brought up as a result of it. There have been deaths. There, You know, there's been yep. uh, multiple stories over the last few years about people that died 
on paranormal investigations that come to find out they weren't there with permission. Uh, there was a, a pretty famous case in Rhode Island at the Lad School, school yeah. where some high school age, or maybe they were a little bit older, but these, they got robbed. The, no, they no. Well, they, it also that also happened too. You're breaking into a location. A lot of times in these aban- quote unquote abandoned locations, they aren't as abandoned as you think. A lot of squatters and crackheads well, and. Uh, this is what happened in the land school. They broke in and they got held up at gunpoint. Well, famously, uh, when I went into, you know, we had an event at Fort Tabor. We had permission right. to be in Battery Milliken. And as we were coming out uh, to, to leave with one group to go get the next group to bring them in, as we were walking out, a group of kids were walking in with a case of beer. Yeah. And the group of kids yelled at us, what are you doing in here? You're not supposed to be in here. And we happened to have one of the one of the members of the military museum yeah. with us, and they said, no, no, you're not supposed to be here. And then it turned into, like, you know, the, the kids basically telling us we had to get lost so that they could party, uh, which that did not work out well for them. But the the story I was thinking about at the lad school was there were some, I, I, I forget what age they were, but they were definitely, like, late teenagers. They broke in. They were saying that they were breaking in there for paranormal investigation. And their was some hydrochloric acid left in, you know, a container. And this one guy, this one kid spilled the hydrochloric acid on his lap and burned off his, um, you know. And so he sued, or his family sued, the state for damages because they left... So did they go to small claims court? A... They left a, um, I mean, it was definitely small claims by the time the acid got done with it. Yeah. But they, they basically wanted to sue for damages, saying that the state left the hydrochloric acid out there for anybody to be, you know, burned by. And, of course, the counter argument is, but you wouldn't have been burned by it if you hadn't been trespassing. And, like, you had to literally break in to get in. So... That case kind of uh, brought it to a lot of people's attention around here, but it still is happening in other places. Uh, years ago, I had the opportunity to talk with the um, Massachusetts Department of Public Health because when I was working for the different TV shows I was working for, trying to find locations, I wanted to get into some of their abandoned hospitals. And they talked with me at length about the problems that they have at some of the different locations. And at the time... Uh, you know, the Paul Devers school was still around and, you know, every, the person that I was talking to was from this area and she specifically pointed out, she's like, I drive by Paul Devers school all the time at night and I see flashlights. You know, I see people in there because they're going in there illegally. So like they were well aware of this being a, a problem. So I want to get... F- you know, the thoughts of the people out there that are listening. I want to know what you think about this. Am I overreacting? I mean, I guess I can ask that question. Mm, it's no. saying, like, you can't call yourself a paranormal group if you do this. Uh, as I put on my post, I would never want to consider myself, you know, the arbiter of who should be involved in this and who shouldn't. I have a lot of opinions about it. And I express those opinions privately to people that I know of in the field. Like, listen, if you're a clown... And you're in the paranormal. I have probably pointed out to somebody in the past that you're a clown and that you shouldn't be in the paranormal. But I would never publicly put you on blast and say, like, 
we've got to get this person out of the paranormal. Uh, the only times that that's ever happened, and I, I really, there's one person I think I've ever really done that to. I think I've only ever called out one. I mean, besides Steve Huff. Yeah. yeah. Steve, Steve, <laughs> yeah. Steve Huff is, yeah, that's the, but that, I'm talking about a, you know, like an actual paranormal investigator, not somebody that's just trying to, you know, make a buck off people on YouTube. Um, and that I won't give him, I won't give him uh, any more publicity here on the air, but, you know, the story's still out there. You can look it up. Google the most interesting man in Massachusetts. And, uh, and you'll find out who it is and, uh, you know, embarrassed myself with the Middleborough town of Selectman um, over, because of this guy uh, when he put out a press release on Middleborough Board of Selectmen stationery about the investigation that was happening at the Middleborough Town Hall. And they were getting Fox 25 to come down and everybody else. And... Uh, it was when I first started like writing stuff for WBSM.com and I wrote a whole article about how, you know, the Middleborough Board of Selectmen should never have done this. You know, you don't want to put out a press release saying there's going to be a ghost hunt because that's a paranormal investigation because that's inviting every idiot to come down and, you know, bang on the windows and drive by and honk their horn and all kinds of stuff. And uh, I put the article out there. It was maybe out for a couple hours and I got an email from one of the selectmen telling me how wrong I was that they didn't put out any press release. And I said, but I have the press release on, on Middleborough Board of Selectmen stationery and it has your name on it. He's like, I think you need to send me a copy of that. So I did. Then he wrote back and said, I never put this out. What? <laughs> so then I reached out to the guy that was doing the investigation and, uh, you know, he never returned my emails after that. We'd been going back and forth and then I never, because he was going to come on the show. Okay. Actually, at one point, when we used to have the Week and Weird, he had reached out to me because he wanted to be our Week and Weird news guy because he was doing a similar type podcast. And so he wanted to be our Week and Weird news guy. And, you know, I was considering it because we either we probably needed somebody at the time or, you know, the very least I thought it might make an interesting guest. And, uh, and as it turns out, the dude is just a fraud. He's just a con man and... He cons people left and right. I don't think that you can have a reputation of being a con man and then try to be in the paranormal and think that I'm going to take your investigation seriously. I mean, this is, this is the point a lot of people brought up on my post about the trespassing. The minute you go into a place illegally, I'm going to just assume that all of your stuff is fake. Because if you if you're can willing break to go law, that far, yeah. yeah, how can I trust that you are a real investigator? So that's there's part of that. But this guy was this guy's just a real piece of work. There was a, a, a car crash on Route 24, and he claimed to have witnessed the car crash. He claims to have gotten out of the car and gone over there to try to help. Now he's also claimed to have won the lottery multiple times. Um, I, I really it's starting to sound more and more like a mental illness. It definitely is, uh, in my opinion. I should say that I'm not a doctor. Um, 
There's other details. I'll tell you off the air because if I start to. Yeah, I got if, it. It's a rabbit hole. Got it. The minute, the minute, there's one key detail that the minute I reveal it, everybody that's listening is going to know who I'm talking about. So I don't want to bring that on the air because, again, I'm not trying to give this guy any publicity. But uh, he, he said that he saw this car crash on 24, that he pulled over and tried to help save these two little girls and that they died in his arms or something. Like, it was really, like, intense, the story that he told. <coughs> Excuse me. And then he went, I think a week after the girls died, he showed up at their house, at the family's house, and he claimed to be a, a medium and that the little girls were coming to him and that, you know, he could charge the family Ooh. to help them reconnect with their lost little girls. Ooh. So as far as I'm concerned, like... That's low. You're the you're the absolute worst kind of person that's ever called themselves a paranormal investigator. And so yeah, that person I did put out on social media and we might have even mentioned it on the show, you know, avoid this guy at all costs. Thankfully he's gone away. I haven't heard from him in forever. He could have changed his name, but I haven't heard from him in forever. So I'm gonna hope that, you know, that has been yeah. exercised from the paranormal. Uh, that, no, that's just oh wow. Yeah. And, and and this is like this there's I'm not just telling you this because this is something that I heard. You can go and find the articles. And the articles mention all this. Again, just Google the most interesting man in Massachusetts and you'll be able to find it all. But the um so that's the only time that I've really ever put somebody on on blast. But I am going to say, like anybody that is trespassing and going into these places, you are not only hurting yourself, not only uh, making yourself look stupid because no matter what you think you are doing, uh, you know, if you think this is your way to get yourself on TV, the first thing that any TV production company is going to look at in your videos is where are they? How'd they get in there? Oh, we want to get in there. And they're going to start reaching out to those people. And then the, the, People that own the locations are going to say, we didn't let anybody in there for paranormal investigation. And then you think that production company is going to call you? No, they're going to know that you break into places and they're not going to want anything to do with you because you've already stained your reputation before you've even had the chance. And the other part of it is uh, that, you know, the, with the, the YouTube and the YouTube revenue and now with TikTok... People are geared on creating content for those platforms and other platforms too, but mainly those two when it comes to paranormal stuff. And I think they also do stuff on Twitch, you know, for paranormal stuff too, but they really like the ability to like monetize stuff on YouTube and they really like the chance for things to go viral on TikTok. So it gets some attention and it gets them some money. So that's why they're doing these videos and the people who are watching them I think are just as guilty. Like if you are the common average TikTok user and you don't know the difference, I can't fault you. But if you're a paranormal investigator and you're supporting the people on TikTok that are doing these things, like you're part of the problem too then. The, uh, the, the, the idea that, you know, the, the content supersedes doing things the right way. You know, I just want to, I just want to see. Like, I know they did it wrong, but I just want to see what they did. So, you, by that logic, you know, the the outcome outweighs the means that you did it is, is supposed to be okay? 
Well, and and it, not only that, but in some in some, it's not so much that they just want to, you know, see what happens, kind of thing. It's like I know I'm never going to get in there, so I just want to see what it looks like. So I'm going to watch their video, even if they went in there illegally. Like you're still giving them a view, and that view is still making it okay. Like I felt bad looking at their stuff on their Facebook page because it was like now I gave them a view. You know, like it's just. This may not be the same, but that's like I look at it like when the Nazis were experimenting on, you know, the people I, they captured I'm, for I'm, your medical things. I'm going to not go as far as to compare anybody. I know that's not the thing, I, but the I don't want to get I don't want to get canceled. And <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like, point taken. So that's, that's enough. Don't get me going on that. Well, but, uh, but don't you, get me going because it's not going to we're not going to agree on it. So there's no need to go down that path. But but that's the whole. The whole idea is that, you know, they they know that they were probably they probably know that they're wrong in what they're doing, but they think that getting the views cancels that out in the end. So if you're going to watch it just to see what it is that they did, then you're feeding right into what it is that they're trying to do. Uh, but that's that's the culture that's popped up, and and I blame the fact that there are you know these these YouTubers who are doing these things that. I can't say that they don't know that it's wrong because obviously they do. Everybody knows that trespassing is wrong. But there are these YouTubers that do it and do it to create the content and not to be paranormal investigators. You know, I can't think of some of the names of some of these channels, but uh, but that's like the whole thing. There's there's like exploring with and I forget the guy's name. And like a lot of them, that's just what they're doing. They're going there and then exploring these abandoned places. But then... You know, while they're there, they'll be like, oh, what was that? Oh, we had this, you know, paranormal experience, but they're not paranormal researchers. Um, so they they aren't, they're still wrong, but they're not harming the paranormal community as much. But I think now the paranormal people are seeing what it is that they're doing, or the people that want to be in the paranormal are seeing what they're doing and saying, oh, I could do that too. And so as long as I don't get caught, I'll be fine. I, it's not just the paranormal community. Uh, you know, as you know, I've past couple of years, I've been more going into cryptid things. Plenty of Bigfoot researchers, you know, heading out into private property looking for stuff without permission. I mean, same idea. Yeah, and if you break, if you go into private property, I mean, you can get shot. Well, how's that any different from breaking into another place? Uh, I think most people that break into like an old abandoned hospital, they think that they're going to get, you know, worst case scenario, confronted by a security guard just yelling like, hey, what are you doing in here? Well, sometimes you can get confronted by cops. Well, but they don't they don't take into account, you know, like you were saying that lad school story. They don't take into account some of those other dangers. Yeah. Um, and, and I can tell you that there are other dangers just beyond that, what happens if you break into a place, fall through the floor, and nobody goes there and inspects the place? Yeah. Nobody's going to be there to rescue you. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, you know. Maybe if you were stupid enough to tag yourself as and wh where you were on Facebook, you know, eventually when somebody's looking for you, they'll be like, "Well, the last thing they tagged on Facebook was that they were at this place. Let's go see if they fell into a hole somewhere there." And then they get there and they find out you really did fall into a hole. Um, so that's. That's kind of a little bit of the soapbox aspect of it. We can discuss this more when we come back on the other side, but I want to hear what you out there think. And I know some of our paranormal friends said they were going to call in and sound off on this tonight. And 
if you want to do so, you're more than welcome to 508-996-0500. That is the number to call in and share your thoughts. Uh, if you want to put it on Twitter, too, you can use the hashtag SpookyLive, and I'll keep an eye out to see if anything pops up there. Uh, Kiki says, oh, my God, the story about the hydrochloric acid. Uh, right. Yeah. That's And I believe me, every time I'm in a place that might have you know, anything dangerous, that's the story that always pops into my mind. You know, and it's not just places that have hydrochloric acid. You know, we've been in places where, you know, even an old hat box, <laughs> you don't know what's in it when you go to yeah. open it up. <coughs> Excuse me. So you always have to be alert and aware of your surroundings and careful. And usually if you go into places with permission, they'll tell you where the dangerous stuff is so that you don't get into those situations. So anybody that's ever gone into Battery Milliken at Fort Tabor illegally... You know, and you're wrong. Don't do it. Don't you know, don't ever do it. But if you've gone in there, you know that there's a lot of places where you can fall and hurt yourself and fall into holes and trip over things and all that. But when we went there with permission, they brought us through and they showed us all that. And they said, don't go down here. Don't go down here. And by the third or fourth event we did there, we had gotten to the point where they're like, yeah, you can go wherever you want now because you know where all the bad areas are. So, you know, you have to permission isn't just, you know, to, to, because it's the right thing to do and it's the law. It's also for safety purposes. We don't have to sneak into places with a flashlight looking around for the very first time because we get permission. So we can go in there and see where the pitfalls are and where we can hurt ourselves. And it doesn't mean we still haven't, you know, tripped over things in the dark and what have you, but at least we're better armed for it. Uh, so we'll continue on talking about this when we return after the break. Again, if you want to call in and share your thoughts, 508-996-0500. That is the number to call in. You can also email us to spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com if you would rather do that. And you can also put it on Twitter, as I said, using the hashtag SpookyLive. And those are all the different ways to get in touch with us during the show. But again, we want to hear from you. That's the best way. And we can go back and forth. And I dare anybody that says they don't see a problem with this to call in and explain why they think that. Back with more Spooky South Coast in just a bit on WBSM. Are you intrigued by Paranormal Talk Radio? You'll love the new Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live. You'll find a great selection of talk shows covering UFOs, ghosts, strange phenomena, and much more. Download the Paranormal Radio app now and start listening to the very best in paranormal talk entertainment, the Paranormal Radio app, free in Google Play and the iOS App Store. Stephanie Burke is actually out tonight. She had a gallery reading. 
with our friend Lopaka from Hawaii. Uh, so she will hopefully be back next week on the program. Uh, but uh, we have been talking tonight about the uh, the idea that there are people out there in the paranormal that think that it's okay to break into places to get content to get themselves attention. And we'll take your thoughts on that. 508-996-0500 if you'd like to call in and chime in. I'll also say this, too. If you are listening on Midnight.fm, and if you're having any issues with sound quality, you know, just download the WBSM app. No matter where you live, you can listen to us live on the WBSM app. It is free, and it is FM quality sound. I listen all day long on the WBSM app at home because I'm working from home. And it sounds incredible. It sounds like um, you're in the room here. Okay, so we have the ability to download something that's free that gives you better listening quality. Yes, and it is. So then why not? And the other good part about it is uh, it also streams over your Alexa device. So if you have an Alexa and you want to listen to us on that, you can, you know, if you you can do it with the Midnight FM, but, you know, you also have to have TuneIn downloaded and you have to say, you know, Alexa, play Midnight.FM on TuneIn. So they don't have if, to be like the Lamone with, you know, a cannon string on top of a telephone pole. Well, nobody should have to be like Lamone. But if you, um, if you wanted to listen to us on your Alexa device, just enable the WBSM skill. So just go into your skills and search for WBSM. And then uh, enable that skill, and then all you have to say is, Alexa, play WBSM, and your Alexa device will play the station in that same FM quality sound. So you do have other options. If you live outside the area and you can't listen to us on the actual radio, there are very good options out there. And we thank our friends over at the Paranormal Radio app and tune in for carrying us, but... You can't beat the sound quality on the WBSM app. I listen to a lot of different, you know, audio apps, and it just sounds better than anything else. Oh, and by the way, if you do live in the area, and if you download the app, you get breaking news alerts whenever anything happens. So we send out alerts right to your phone when there's important South Coast news for you to know about. And if you download us just to listen to Spooky South Coast and you don't want to have all that, there's also the option to be able to turn that stuff off. So it's not like you have to feel like having the app on there is going to be intrusive on your phone. We, you know, we, we, we are cautious of that for sure. But uh, one app you do want to download is you want to go and find the Ultimate Unexplained app because that has the kind of content I know this audience wants to hear, wants to read all the time. Uh, it's all the great paranormal content from ultimateunexplained.com, right in an easy-to-download app, and uh, you can get it from wherever you get your apps. Or you can go to ultimateunexplained.com, and all the information is there to be able to download it. But we send out the notifications when we have some really cool stories there about ghosts or aliens or cryptids or even true crime stuff. So uh, I think you'll all enjoy that site, and I certainly think you would enjoy having the app so that you can have it delivered right to you. Uh, as the stories break. All right, so we are taking phone calls, 508-996-0500. Let's go to the phones. Good evening. You're on WBSM on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hi, uh, Tim. Hi, it's Eileen. Hi, Eileen. How are you? Hi. Hi, Matt. How are you guys doing tonight? All right, Eileen. 
So you you must have some thoughts on this. Um, yeah, I do. I I mean, it's I totally agree with you. I think it's absurd that people, you know, it's a horrible thing for people to just go in some place and trespass without permission. And um, I I was seeing I saw this um, it was an urban explorer uh, YouTube channel one time. It just popped up on my my YouTube for some reason. I didn't even, you know, I wasn't even uh, searching for it. But um, this guy, not only does he go into, I don't know if would include this. I don't know if he's like a paranormal um, person, but sure. he's an urban, urban explorer who goes into these abandoned buildings. Also, he goes into people's uh, homes. Like he would go into... Um, a person's home and it looked like they were they you know like it was lived in maybe a month ago or something and they're like um he's doing this streaming video that seems really Um, illegal yeah i was like i was like really like taken aback by that and i um you know, I would just like leave a comment like, you know, what are you doing there? <laughs> this was somebody's home and you're like rifling through their stuff. Like, I, I don't know if they if they took anything, but this seems to also be a trend as well. Like where they're going into not just abandoned buildings, but they're also going into like abandoned homes. And I don't know if it's because of the pandemic, like maybe some people um, had to leave their home. Um, you know, their home was foreclosed or something. I don't know what the reason is. But, or it could be an estate. Um, somebody's died and their children haven't had a chance to do anything with the but, house But yet. still, somebody owns it. Yeah. <laughs> they still shouldn't be yeah. in there. At the bare minimum, a bank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I was, I was, um, you know, I, I was kind of like, that That to me is, is, is very uh creepy too <laughs> i mean i don't know if you remember so, but when when the pandemic really started like you know uh, intensifying uh like mm-hmm. back in may of last year like randonauting debuted and uh the 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 app mm. that came out randonautica was the app mm. that people were using and so this was an app that people were putting in oh, yeah. it was like I giving you coordinates you yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. but you know, uh, you know, we, we interviewed the, 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 the guy that created it and he said like, it's not made for you to go trespassing. Like it's not supposed to bring you to places that are owned by somebody else, but we tell you outright if they are, don't go there, but it doesn't, right. you know, people just don't listen. Mm-hmm. There's That's like, it's, true. it's almost like they have uh you know, some sort of sense of entitlement that because, you know, oh, well, I'm filming for YouTube. Like that's supposed to allow mm-hmm. them to be able to go wherever they want. Exactly. Yeah. There's also a place um, that I've been uh, researching in Queens, where where I live, uh, Queens, New York, Bayside, um, and uh, there is the area that I'm that I'm researching has a lot of abandoned buildings, and um, the fire department, the New York City t- t- fire department, also um, resides in the in the space as well, and um, so there's some buildings that are that are being used. And then there's some buildings, like half of the buildings are abandoned. And um, so I don't, you know, like I know, like for me too, I just take photographs of the exteriors of the buildings, but I don't, like I would never go into 
the space, even if the door is like wide open and I'm like, oh, you know, um, I would always, I would get permission before ever doing something like that. But I noticed like a lot of, um, there's an abandoned hospital too on the premises. And the, um, you know, there's a sense around it, you know, this sense to keep people, trespassers out of there. But, you know, people find a way to get in there. <laughs> and uh, one time there were like these little kids on bikes, you know, like, it kind of like reminded me of like Stand By Me, you know, that were uh, these three little punks. <laughs> <laughs> they were like preteens. And they were going into there, into the, the hospital. And I was a little concerned because it's like dilapidated. And I'm like, I hope nothing happens to these these little kids. You know, my mom instincts kick in because I have two boys. So, And I was like going to go up to them. And I was like, oh, they're probably going to curse me out. You know how little kids are. <laughs> these days, they're just like a little a little uh, rude. but Right. It used to be like, hey, you're you not know. my mom. Now it's like things that you would never even want to repeat to anybody else. Exactly. <laughs> so, but I totally agree with you with that. Like, you just, you know, you have to get permission. It's just not right to do that. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for calling in. Yeah. Thank you for uh, letting me talk. <laughs> well, call in anytime. All right. Love Have, you guys. Love you too. Thank you. Take care. Uh, 508-996-0500 is the number. Yeah, nice to hear from Eileen. She's always listening, but uh, I don't know if she's ever called before. So hopefully hopefully she'll make it a regular thing. Uh, 508-996-0500. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Hello. How are you? Hey, I'm pretty good. Uh, I'm listening to your show. I have a question. How common are orbs floating around a building? Very common. Okay. But what, uh, but whether or not they're paranormal is a different story. So orbs are generally, you know, 99% of the time, they're caused by either dust in the air, moisture, moisture in the air, or bugs in the air. All of those things reflect refre reflecting back the light of whatever the, the camera is, whether it be a flash or whether it be an IR light or anything like that. So usually that's what, or even just another light source, you know, in the room. But generally, that's what an orb usually is. So if you're okay. in a building, you know, everybody's like, oh, there's no dust in my house. My house is clean. There's still dust, dust. in your house. Even so, clean rooms have dust. Right. So most of most orbs are explainable as that. Not all, uh, but that still doesn't necessarily mean that the ones that aren't explainable are paranormal. Most true orbs are self-luminous. You see them without the aid of a camera. They are visual to the eye, and they are usually color and most times they're a natural cause uh, form of the fifth state of matter called plasma and that is generated by an energy now what is creating that energy that may be paranormal or not but if you're seeing an orb in a camera more than likely it is dust moisture bug or something else okay a little backstory um I owned a restaurant in uh, Rhode Island, very popular restaurant. I haven't owned it in many years. And we had surveillance cameras up. So one night, either myself or one of my partners were reviewing in the office um, the security system for some reason. And it had night vision capabilities. And there were like these orbs that would just 
go into walls, shoot across the things. We slowed them down. They seem to be transparent. And I actually, uh, a person that was working for us was really into the supernatural. And she got some uh, paranormal company out of Rhode Island somewhere. They came down. I showed them the security footage. And they're like, oh, yeah, well, we want to set up you know, come in there like Ghostbusters and set up overnight and be in the building. But the owner of the building didn't feel comfortable with that. So the story was it was a former dairy uh, built, I guess, in the teens or early 20s, and supposedly someone got killed in the building in the 20s or late teens. I was just curious with your experience. These were very distinguishable. They weren't bugs. They weren't dust. And they'd appear once or twice a week. And then we started looking for them. And we had many occasions where they were looked like baseballs floating around. Sometimes they'd go very slow in front of the camera. Other times they'd just like zip. It, it was kind of weird, so I was just well, curious if... So you said it was a Rhode Island restaurant? Yes. Was it Hooters of Warwick? No, sir. Because then I'd <laughs> want to review the footage myself. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> lovely orbs. <laughs> just, many, sorry. Uh, I, I, I had sold to. my share in 2015, so this was maybe 20... We opened in 2013. It was either 13, 14, or 15. So, But you, you, you said it was... They were transparent, these orbs. Yeah. So you could see right through them. So then, actually, to be honest with you, usually when that happens, in my experience, yeah, that that no, I think that is a bug, because what you're seeing in the in the actual the orb reflecting the IR light is from the, the wings wing of the bug. Yeah. So what's happening is the wings are moving at such a fast speed that when you try to look at this capture of it you're not going to see a solid right thing because the frame rate not matching the wing beat rate so you know, that a halo. In, in my experience that's usually what it is so you know i mean listen I'm, I'm not saying that your restaurant wasn't clean and that you had bugs i mean a, no. a, a bug gets in all the time i mean there's flies oh, there's yeah, moths. I, I understand that so well, we we go frame by frame and they were a circular object and we took pictures of us with our phones of the uh, security monitor. And they, like I said, they were, they looked like the size of baseballs. And you'd see one go from left oh. to right, right to left, bottom to top, top to bottom. Sometimes yeah. it just a pinnacle right through a wall. Yeah, baseball size, I think, you know, no matter how fast it was moving, if it was a bug, you would catch it. You would catch its its body at some point because the bigger bugs just aren't going to move as fast as the smaller ones. Um, so yeah, that, no, that is very interesting. Uh, but it, it, do, you, do you still have? Do you still own the footage yourself? Do you still have a copy no, of it? No, it, uh, I sold out to my two partners. They ran it for a few years after me, and then they sold it to the new owner. But you didn't you didn't keep the footage at all for yourself? No, because when I sold out, it was like okay. We'll give you X amount of money. I had suffered my third heart attack, and I just went my way. And you said if and there then, are ghosts, they're your problem now. Can I ask a well, quick question? Like I said, we, we would just, it, after the first sighting, we made it a point to review this, the film every day. 
All right. Can I ask you a question? We were only open three days a week, so, you know, you'd catch it on a Friday night. And then the following week, you'd catch it on a Sunday or a Saturday Sunday. Can I ask a question? Yes, sir. Were there people in the room ever when the orbs were being videoed? No, this we used to close okay, so, okay. at 9 p.m. These would happen anywhere because, again, the security system had a time stamp. Right. It happened 1.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning. There, there was definitely nobody in the building. But you only turned the cameras on when you were leaving? Yes. Okay, so these things could have been videoed during the day while everybody else was there. More, no, no, because okay. they always seem to be on the, the night vision. The, right, the black night, and white. It the was night vision is the worst cameras to deal with okay. when you're dealing with videotaping things because they're number one, their frame rate is off. Number two, okay. they're. Uh, I work in my job here is is a scientist, and I deal with this kind of stuff all the time. Things being reflected in IR light are far more uh, reflective, so it generates more for the CCD to capture. Okay, so okay. so dust, even though it's a small particle, is reflecting a lot of that IR light back to the camera. And it may look like a huge baseball or basketball only because it's closer to the camera lens. And the camera can't focus on that as a fine point. The other thing to note is nobody sees these orbs while they're there, physically or glowing. Got where I'm going with this? Well, basically, this happened in our office, and we were always in the front of the house, you know, cooking, taking orders. Right. And they were, like I said, we did, it was a, a at the time it was a very good, expensive security system. Yeah, it's, it's made for finding people, not looking at small fine objects yeah, floating yeah. through the air. Yeah, it's it's a limitation of the equipment, is what it is. Okay. All right, no, I just always found it interesting, especially, you know, you hear, oh, it used to be a dairy, and, right. oh, someone died or was killed back in the late teens, early 20s, so. All right, thank you, gentlemen. Wait a minute. Very interesting you, show. It used to be a dairy? Yes. I'm not going to ask you to name the place, but does, does it seat a lot of people? Excuse me? Does it seat a lot of people, the restaurant? Uh, no. Okay. So, I just I was just was thinking in my head about a, a different story. So no, okay. okay. No, this is in Tiverton, Rhode Island, uh, three four hundred yards from the Mass uh, state line. I think I know where you're talking about. I used to live on Mount Hope Ave in Fall River. Mm-hmm. I, I I think I know the restaurant you're for. It's a it's a very popular seafood restaurant. Yep. That's as far as I'll go. All right. I, no. I know you're All right. Well, thank you very much for the call. Thank you. Interesting show. Good night, man. Thanks. Thank good you. night. Bye. If you would like to call in, 508-996-0500, No, I don't know if we still use that number. 508-996-0500. That's good enough. So, yeah, I mean, listen, a lot of restaurants, <clears throat> you know, they have those, those security cameras. And uh, especially, you know, the time period that he was talking about. Uh, it was very popular to go out and get those DVR systems that had the multiple night vision cameras. Right. You know, we've used them in investigations before, and the the you were right. Like the quality on them were so they weren't bad. I mean, certainly right. you could catch somebody that was breaking right. in at night, and right. the police it, could use that to identify them. Right. 
But in terms of... There, there, there weren't HD type of things that you would get. Yeah. And the, the, limited to the technology's ability at the time. The stuff that you have nowadays uh, with, you know, these ring cameras and uh, all these other, like, security systems you can put in. Like, I know um, Verizon and Comcast have their own security systems you can put in. And then it all goes to your phone on an app. You can... Like, the picture quality on those are incredible. Uh, well, but even those, I would still, you know, be hesitant to... You know, say anything could be paranormal from the footage on them. Well, anything that uses IR light to uh, look, you're going to get this thing coming back. I deal with a particular like, like, a, like a ghost hunting paranormal show. No, but uh, <laughs> they they use IR light. Well, I use various forms of light in my regular day job, analytical chemistry. You know, I use a thing called an FTIR, 48 transfer infrared technology. It gener you use wavelengths of IR light to uh, send to a chemical, and it has a particular signature coming back in, of wavelengths that it reflects. So I'm quite familiar with how the material works. And some materials, even though it may not be reflective as much in regular light, IR light and what the imager picks up picks up a hell of a lot more than what your eye would see. So something that you wouldn't see with your naked eye, the camera itself will pick up greatly because it's reflecting back those wavelengths of light so much. By the way, I was being sarcastic when I said the ghost hunting TV shows because they film yeah. in IR. They yeah. film at like 4K or above. Like they're not filming at the same, you know, the, the same low quality yeah. cameras that people are putting in right. for security. Right. Uh, and, it's, and I also have noticed too that, you know, not that I watch a lot of the programs, um, but the ones that I have caught here and there, I've noticed they're, they're starting to move away from a lot of the IR stuff too anyway. Yeah. I just think people had enough of, of seeing it like that. And also, you know, eventually it gets to the point where even if you, you know, the, the people who are watching these shows, they have such high quality equipment at their house to watch these that they don't even want to sacrifice that little bit of quality to get the IR factor, you know, right. like, no, no, I'd rather have low light at 8K than, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the picky people like me that are like, no, I didn't pay all this money for this TV to get some low quality IRs, you know, for 15 minutes a show. Um, but uh, speaking of shows, uh, you have Netflix, right, Moniz? Yes. Do, do you do you watch the true crime documentaries that are on there? No. There is one that's out there now. Uh, you know, we, we were we were complaining about people on the Internet. You know, the, the urban explorers, the YouTubers, the TikTokers uh, in the first hour. And we'll still take your calls on that, 508-996-0500. But there was, there's a documentary out there right now about the Cecil Hotel in Los Angeles. Okay. And the Elisa Lamb case. Uh, are you familiar that's, with this case? That's the girl that went up in the elevator, did the weird video, and they found her dead, I they, think. They found her in the water tank on the roof, yeah. naked, with her clothes in the water tank, too. But nobody knows how she got in there yeah. and, you know, all of that. Um, but I, I want to focus on a particular part of that. So in that documentary, they interview uh, quite a few of, you know, the terminology is web sleuth. People who saw this video online... And decided to dig into it more. You know, armchair yeah. uh, investigators sitting at home on the computer uh, using the footage that they get from the news to try to dissect this more and to, to dig into it more. And while I don't see a problem with people, you know, having an interest in something and looking into it a little bit more, uh, this documentary gave them way too much 
uh, airtime and way too much credit. You know, it's the equivalent of just to, you know to use as an example here. We have the the highway murders, thirty plus years now of being unsolved, but everybody on the internet has a theory. Everybody on social media, every woman talks about how she dated the highway killer in the eighties. You know, her ex boyfriend or her ex husband was definitely the highway killer, um, and you know all of this stuff. And to me, that's just what this whole web sleuth community sounds like. It's like just a bunch of people trying to insert themselves into a story. And they don't really have the training or the expertise to make a difference. And they just, you know, it's an interesting part of the story and it should be told in the documentary. But out of a four-hour documentary, which was way too long, they could have told the whole story in half that time. But a good half of the time that they spent on it was spent talking to these web sleuths. And, of course, none of them turned out to be right with the stuff that they were putting out. But the interesting part of it was there was a, a, a black metal musician. Not, not that he was black and that he was a metal musician. He plays black metal. You know, yeah, so, I, I, I know. No, but for the audience's sake. No. So what, what I mean by that is it's not, it's not just the typical like heavy metal it's very dark overtones, yeah. you know, uh, talking about murder and talking about death um, and having that kind of um, imagery involved in it. And so uh, I think he calls himself morbid. And so he happened to stay there at the hotel and filmed the video of him at the hotel. And these web sleuths, and I'm not trying to spoil anything for people that haven't watched the documentary yet, but these web sleuths, had they were convinced that it was this guy that did it because he was at the hotel the same time she was or right near there. As it turns out, he was there a year before, same okay. month, but a year prior okay. for like two days. And they destroyed this guy's life. They like he they get him on camera for the documentary. And what I found interesting about it was they got him on camera telling his whole story about how these web sleuths like ruined his life by accusing him of murder. Like every time he put out new music, put a new video up on YouTube, they're in the comments like, you're a murderer. You know, and they're like trying to actively get him, you know, taken yeah. down and, uh, you know, they're, they're hurting his musical career. In addition to having a huge effect on him, you know, personally and psychologically. So, they talk to him about it and they get his side about how they ruined his life. And then what I notice is none of the web sleuths that they interviewed react to what it is that he's saying. Now, maybe the half a dozen or so that they talked to that they were showing clips of, maybe some of, you know, maybe none of them were involved in this part of it, but somebody should have been held accountable for that. Somebody should have had to say like, yeah, we were wrong in that regard. And yeah, we probably went too far, but instead they kind of portrayed them as being like these, uh, you know, the, like they were cracking the case. And there have been some cases where web sleuths have helped, you know, crack the case, but not in this one and not enough to devote 50% of the airtime of this documentary to them. So I just, yeah, I, kind of wanted to get that off my chest a little bit because it's been bothering me since I watched it last weekend just how terrible that is but it also kind of ties into you know what we're talking about tonight that you think that because you have a webcam and a YouTube account 
that that gives you some kind of, you know, special access or special voice. And uh, he'd, tell you to, to, he'd tell it to you, but you don't. I mean, if you want to create content and people want to pay attention to it, sure. But that doesn't make you, you know, it doesn't make you an investigator. It doesn't make you somebody who has the right to uh, insist on being able to film where you can't film. That's uh, something that they actually show in the documentary. Now, the hotel wouldn't allow them to go in there and film, so they all just went in there and snuck their phone cameras in and filmed. Like, that's that's still not okay. You still did that without permission. So, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to sound like, you know, somebody's dad here being like, oh, you better not break the law. But I take privacy laws seriously. And especially since I work in the newsroom and we have to know what the lines are. Yeah, we're held to a slightly different standard. But still, it's just basic common sense. If you're dealing with something that already has a, we'll call it a rocky basis of belief to start with, adding, you know, criminal activity is not going to help your believability factor. Also, think about the bigger picture of all of this, too. Like, we're saying, here's an unsolved murder. We don't know what's going on. Let's go to a random YouTube person and ask them what they think. Like, in a real news story, you would hear that and be like, how are they qualified to be involved in this? Like, just because they were obsessed with it? Well, you also play devil's advocate here. How many times does, you know, interviewers or journalists go out to interview the man on the street about their opinion of what happened. Right. Yeah. I, but that, if you're doing it that way, yeah, I understand. Yeah. But the man on the street stuff is like, it's, it's a time filler. Like that's yeah, what it's yeah. for. It's because you don't have anything what, else to do with the story. Sounds like the same thing here of what you're describing to me. Oh no. They're, they're, they're giving these people weight in this, you know, like not that's, just filling time with it. They're, right. They're giving oh, okay. them weight. They're like, Oh, this is a big, big part of the story. And it is part of the story, but I don't know. I just felt like it was, it felt off to me. And the fact that none of them could stand up and say, yeah, we were wrong. We ruined a guy's life with our, you know, garbage conspiracy theory uh, because we didn't really do a good enough job of web sleuthing the truth about it. You know, I can, uh, you know, I, I, I will forever hold that. It just wasn't a great documentary overall. I know, I know a lot of people out there have enjoyed it. From a technical standpoint, they just kept repeating the same stuff over and over again, and it was twice as long as it needed to be. All right, let's go to the phones. 508-996-0500. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hey, anybody want to buy a ghost arc? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, I still have one that actually works. I just don't I know, know like, where all the knobs went when they fell off. Yikes, that's bad. <laughs> Maybe they're in Italy somewhere, right? Mm. Uh, I don't know if they're still in Italy. Does Italy have extradition laws for fraud? Uh, I don't know. I, you would think so, right? Or they are in Argentina. <sighs> I don't know. I was hopeful with that thing. So it With that device. didn't, if I remember right, didn't you come down here to see it when I first got it? I did, and I think we used it on um, the USS Salem. Yeah, we did. And I think it, it, it definitely had like a decent response time on certain things, but it's funny how, you know, a few years later you think about it and it's like, hmm. Okay. It did not have the shielding that it, they say that it did. Yeah, that I know yeah. for sure. Uh, mm -hmm. As a recorder, it worked pretty cool. Like it had cool, cool features. Um, yeah, like the way that you could kind of slow it down and you could play it, you know, you could you could um, slow-mo it as you were playing it back. Like there were a lot of cool little features to it, but certainly 
it was a giant scam. And uh, and and I I own it. You know, I own the part that we played in putting it out there. I wanted to believe that it could be what it was. And uh, you know, we didn't make any money off promoting it. We were really just trying to get the word out to people that they could save money and buy one device instead of buying ten. Uh, we were lied to about the, you know, the the level of quality control that went into it, and uh, we were used. And I I will admit that you know got used completely for it uh, because they wanted to have people that they felt like uh, they had some credibility and that you know that if 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 I said it was okay, maybe some people would buy it, and it just it was garbage. But it looks really pretty in the dark. <laughs> that it did. And hey, you know, at least it doesn't go for like fifteen thousand dollars on uh, eBay with certain well, other devices. Yeah, and let me tell you this too. I remember, uh, there's yeah. there, there's a chance that every piece of paranormal equipment that you buy is garbage. That's just fraud too. So, like, it wasn't like this was any different. Just because this had a bunch of hype behind it doesn't mean that it's any different than the you know fifteen other devices that have come out that have turned out to be garbage. This is true. This is true. Although I still do, I still want to try to get my hands on one of those. Um, voice recorders that it's popularly used, but <laughs> that's neither here nor there. Right. So I was thinking of the topic tonight, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's important that, like, one thing that, you know, as an investigator you do is when you go into these local places is, like, maybe talk to the police before, let them know there's a group going out there, make sure that it's okay to go there, just clear things up. You know, the more you communicate with some of these public places, the better off you can be. And, um, you know, that's happened a few times and I've never had any issues. Just my perspective. No, it's always a good idea to try and clear it out with the powers that be. Not just, you know, the property owner, if you're going to a, a place that is, you know, remote or what have you. We usually ask the police to do what's called a courtesy check. In other words, we invite them to come to the location at a particular time and location on the property. We send somebody out and we meet the officer and saying, yep, we're fine. Thank you for dropping by and checking on us. And you Well, know. And, and, and something that we don't broadcast, uh, but we actually have people who come to our events who are in law enforcement. True. Yeah. Uh, we've had people who have... <laughs> it's, it's been lucky on a few occasions to have them. I'll, I'll yeah, say... My, I won't name any names, but yeah. <laughs> my favorite. I don't know if you were there that night, Ross, but we were at the SK Pierce Mansion, and I think it was the first or the second one that we did. I think it was the first. I think it was the Legend Trips one, where they required us to pay for oh, no, a fire, um, yeah, a fire, fire marshal yeah. to yeah. be there the entire time, and the fire marshal ended up not. We were paying him. I think it was like two hundred bucks or four hundred bucks to be there for the night. And instead of like just hanging back and watching, he's walking around with the K two. Yeah, he was he was actually investigating, and actually to the point where he was being obnoxious about it. Like he was he was cutting off the people that paid to be there to like be the first one to go into a room or something, or to be the first one to use a device. And we had to be like, dude, calm down. These people paid to be here. Like you got to give them first crack. But he was just so excited. It was it was just funny. I think I do remember that. But no, I mean, you know, and I, I think probably one of the worst things too is maybe this wasn't mentioned, but you know, you got, if you have an actual event that comes up and you have people that kind of create their own sub investigation on it, it's almost like kind of a really crappy subreddit post, you know, like <laughs> when they 
they start their own paranormal investigation or they think that they need to do a exorcism or something like that on a highly contested uh, paranormal location. Yes. Yeah. I, I We've had to do that. We've actually had to pull people aside and say, no, 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 we're not playing that game tonight. We're not doing the, uh, we're going to help these spirits move on. Uh, there was one of the last events that I put on um, was, I don't want to name anybody. I won't name the location either because I don't want the person to feel bad. But the person was like very much came in, you know, I'm a psychic, I'm a medium and kind of announce everybody that like it's her thing to help spirits move on and i had to like pull her aside and say if that's what you do you don't do it here unless you are specifically asked to do it because they didn't ask you to come here tonight to do that they asked you you know they they allowed us to come here tonight to investigate so but it's a problem i mean we've we've had numerous times that's happened it is you know and it's funny because you were talking about the cecil hotel um Documentary. I've watched both of them. One being a very pop, and um, the other being a you know the one on Netflix. And I actually kind of like the one that was on Discovery Plus. Not to do any plugs. Um, I thought it was a little little more well rounded investigation versus the one that was on Netflix. No, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. But that was the Ghost Adventures episode, right? It was, yes. And it was actually it was very enjoyable because they covered a few different people that had stayed there, which I thought was covered a few different aspects of paranormal, true crime, and other aspects of uh, kind of the whole spooky genre, if you want to say. Well, it, the, you know, they've got the best researcher in the business, so. Cool. <laughs> well, you know, and, and kind of what you were saying about the... Uh, the Cecil Motel documentary, it kind of reminded me about the Zodiac Killer conspiracies and the theories that come up with that. You know, like my dad, my uncle, uh, my next door neighbor was the Zodiac Killer. Ted Cruz. It's just, right, right, right. Even though he was born after the Zodiac murders. Exactly. (laughs) You know, it's just, it's kind of a hysteria that comes up. And not to mention, but, you know, they kind of like didn't do a very good portrayal of the type of music that I play in bands for, so I'll just leave that at that. <laughs> That's a very good point. All right, well, thank you for the call. All right, Tim, have a good night. You, you too. Back. Take care. You too, thanks. Right, 508-996-0500. Uh, that was one of the funny memes that I saw going around this week, though, you know, because Ted Cruz took off for Cancun while Texas is without power and water, and uh, and somebody put up, you know, Ted Cruz released a statement as to why he left on vacation during all of this, and it was just one of the Zodiac letters. I thought that was a pretty funny meme. Are you familiar with that whole conspiracy theory? No. So there's there's actually people out there that were supporting the idea that Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer. Oh, okay. I don't know where it came about. Like, I, I, I looked into it once, and I just forgot, like, the basis the of it. Zodiac and killings it, it, happened in the late 1960s, and he wasn't born until, like, what, 71, 72? I think, I think, I think this, the murder started in 67 or 68, and he was born, like, 69. So it was yeah. like, you know, and even if he was born, like, when they started, yeah, yeah. <laughs> could a four-year-old have done the Zodiac murders? No. Probably not. So, I mean, it just chronologically doesn't make sense. And if somebody's calling in to tell me, you know, the real story about the Ted Cruz, I don't want to even give that airtime because it's ridiculous but it's it's still funny like it's funny when people bring it up in memes okay um but that's uh yeah that's (laughs) now there's plenty of other you know 
Zodiac theories out there that are probably, you know, have some valid uh, validity and are worth looking into. The Ted Cruz one, not one of them. Good evening. You're on Spooky South Coast. Hello. Good evening. How are you? Uh, in uh, talking about ghost hunting devices. Yes. Um, fish finders, fish locators with sonar can locate fish people in which some of them are friendly, good fish people. Other are, are demons. They're evil. <clears throat> and, uh, are you referring to ancestors of Lemuria, Mew, and uh, Atlantis? The, the the popes, the they have the hat that is looks like a fish, and they're part of the fish people. I thought the fish on the pope's hat referred to Christ when he bred, had the bread and uh, the fish, and that was the early symbol for Christianity. Right. That was that was later. No, um, that was from the beginning. Well, I mean, I don't think there was Christianity before Christ. No, but Christianity's first symbol was the symbol of the fish. was a fish symbol. It wasn't no, the No, no, I'm just saying to the caller's point, oh. I don't think there was Christianity before. So, so there's evil fish people, but there's good fish people. Right. Yeah. Did some they have names? Some of them would be... Uh, the the known fish people are evil. There are there are good. Can you um, name their races and which ones are good and which ones are bad? You're saying there's good ones and there are bad ones. You know, uh, do they have names? Do they call themselves anything in particular? I know the general name for fish people, as you're calling them, are called mermen or mermaids or merwomen. And the Merc stands for Lemuria, which was a ancient city that they were alleged to have come from. Yeah, that would be Nephilim, probably. Well, the Nephilim um, weren't in the water. They were uh, on the land, and they were born of giants. They were giants <laughs> among, among men. Well, these Nephilim would be the would be the water Nephilim. They wouldn't be land or air um, necessarily. Where might I um, find that information? Because I, I'm pretty well versed in most of those type of things, and I don't recall I mean, anything. Mo Moniz is part fish person, so... Well, yeah, true, but that's beside the point. If, if someone you know, a neighbor has a fish finder, the dial to test it, take it in a house, take it wherever there might be testing for ghost hunting, paranormal, and test it. It's a sonar. And, it, and, it'll, um, and it'll pick up, so it'll pick up the, just fish people or will it pick up regular people too? The dial. It won't pick up anything won't. because it only works in water, but let's not go there. 
Well, you know what? I, I'll tell you what. My neighbor has a fish finder. I'll have to see if I can borrow it and, and see if I can find any fish people. What should I do if I encounter one, though? Uh, do do research. <laughs> do research. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I guess I caught him a little bit further along than he thought that bit out. Uh, thank you for the call, though. Uh, we do have, a, we have another call I want to get to before we run out of time. So have a great night. All right, 508-996-0500. We'll see if we can squeeze somebody else in, too, but I think this might be our last call because I think I know who it is. Good evening. You're next on Spooky South Coast. Hello. What's up, Playboy? Hey, Playboy. <laughs> What's going on? What's up? So I'm thinking you think we'll probably find a Bogota with that fish finder? <laughs> it's a different Isn't fish. Isn't he still alive? Hey, no, he's no he, I know he died. But he only died a few years ago. Yeah, so. As opposed to the 20 other times they said he was dead. Oh, yeah, and he looked, he looked like he was one of the walking dead anyways. True. You know, yeah. So I got to, all right, Matthew, I need your help on something. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a joke, and I need you to, I need you to say, oh, how does it, We've got, how does it, how, we got three minutes, Lamone, just so you know, three quick, minutes. Okay. Quick, quick. All right. Say, how does it, do, how does it do his work? How does it do work? Uh, all right, well, like, all right, let me just say this. Right. I know, I, I know, uh, I, I met a new, uh, a, a deaf gynecologist. Now, then I used to say, how does he do his work? How does he do his work? He reads lips. Oh, okay, oh so come I'm on. <laughs> I should have just dumped you for that. Oh. That was clean. Oh. Me, hello, Eileen. It's been a while since we heard your voice. Hello. Um, uh, so, uh, now, you know that uh, Elisa Lam, you know, she, she was from the Hmong. You know, the Hmong? Yeah. The Hmong people? Yeah. Yeah, now, Vietnam. You, you remember? Yeah, do you remember back in... She was uh, Chinese. She was yeah, but the Hmong go Hmong. all the way from Cambodia all the way up. In, yeah. And so so what happened, back in the 80s, she was from, they were having, she was from like, a lot Canada. of people were dying, and a lot of the people were dying while they were sleeping, a lot of the young men and stuff, and around that age. Right, that's age stuff, what inspired Wes Craven, yeah. Yeah, and so, but then I told you what Wes Craven told me about back in 1997. What, I used to scare my kids with Freddy Krueger all the time. Oh, he's they. But um, it's like he told me the real truth behind behind uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. But I have to tell you that on another episode, so they'll have to do it next week. So, um, are you going to have the show live live next Saturday? I believe so. Why don't you do? Can you get on the tube again? Because I'm sure that no. all the people that have called, we'd love to see you guys on the tube. No, it's not working. Well, we got to wait till they rip the studio apart. I think. Yeah, and that's oh. starting in what a couple of months. Not for a while. They got to do the newsroom first. Yeah. yeah. I bet you if Tom Brady was still there in, in New England, they'd have that stuff fixed a long time ago. Uh, you know I don't I mean? know if the two are connected. I don't. I, I want to say they are. You can see some, some crazy black guy said they are. You know, with the boss come talk to you about it. So I think I think they're tru- truly connected together. So um, all right, I have uh, all right. So I have a couple things I want to say, but I guess sixty seconds, Lamont. Sixty seconds before we're out. Oh, okay. Well, um. I just want uh, I'm not going to go there. I just want to say thank you to everybody and hope all of you guys have a wonderful evening. And you think Stephanie will be back next week? Uh, she said she will be, yes. Uh, uh, I've got something i got to tell her, too. So we're going to have a boatload of fun next weekend. So all next right. week, the Lamone Show. Got it. That's right. <laughs> Take care, Lamone. Don't I sound very good, too? You do sound well, great. Always call on yeah. this line. Yeah. Damn that reefer. <laughs> <laughs> Take care. Have a good night. Later, Playboy. All right. God See you later. God bless you. 
All right. Uh, we are just about out of time. Uh, just a real quick note. I don't, you know, I try not to promote uh, Midnight Society on Midnight FM too much here, but uh, you definitely want to tune in uh, on this Monday. Uh, normally, we don't announce till Sunday who our guests are for the week, but it's almost Sunday, so I'm going to uh, give you a little bit of a free preview here. Monday night, we'll be joined by Keith Johnson, the very first ever Spooky South Coast guest. He'll be joining us uh, Monday night on Midnight Society, and it's been a while since we've had him on this program, so there's a lot to catch up with Keith on, and of course, you know we're going to talk about the Conjuring case. He was the first person along with his brother Carl to investigate that, so that'll come up along with some other things as well. I think you'll all really enjoy it, but we will come back next Saturday night. Uh, for another edition of this program. And uh, if you want to reach out to us during the week, you can do so spooky crew at SpookySouthCoast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at SpookySC. You can like us on Facebook. Uh, you can also reach out to us individually as well. Well, to me individually, Moniz is, you know, social media dark, but you can find me at Tim Weisberg. That'll do it until next week for Matt and for Matt and for Stephanie. I'm Tim. Stay spooktacular.